welcome to Cloudonaut. Um, this is our Builders Diary series, which is all about the day-to-day -day challenges of builders. In this issue, Peter Reitz from our partner TechRacer talks about how to build serverless ETL pipelines with the help of Apache Airflow and Amazon Athena. Um, you studied economics, got into programming by chance, and joined TechRacer in 2017 as a cloud consultant. And nowadays, you are focusing on machine learning and data analytics. So welcome to the show, Peter. Yeah, thank you for, uh, for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here and I'm really excited to do this podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you and even I'm more excited about the topic that we are talking about, which is serverless ETL. Um, I failed on that topic. That's what I can <laughs> say right at the beginning. So I'm very interested in your approaches on that and uh, what's happening nowadays um, with that. Um, but before we do so, um, I'd like to understand a little bit. So how did you grow into, so from basically economics to programming, to cloud computing, to being a consultant at TechRacer. So can you, can you give me a, sh a very short summary of how did that happen actually? <laughs> Yeah, uh, of course. So I think it was quite an interesting journey. Um, I finished my master's in economics and was uh, self-employed uh, for a few years. And then I wanted to go back into a company to learn from others. Um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I got an um, application uh, from from TechRacer. So they were looking for a cloud consultant. And at that time, I had no idea what it was. So I never heard of uh, AWS or the cloud or anything, right? And I read through that um, uh, through that application, and uh, I think I matched maybe 10%, maybe 20% of what they were asking for. Um, and um, I still applied, or a headhunter still applied for me, I would say. Um, but I still applied and I still got the chance to talk with, with Gregor. Um, and that was a match right away, right? So, um, I felt right at home and, uh, yeah, it didn't, I still didn't know what I would do in the end, but just, uh, the, 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 the talk was great and, and, um, the challenge, uh, sound, sounded good to me. And so I started and I think. It was the right step, definitely. Uh, and I'm very happy with that step. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so by the way, uh, I would also love to do a podcast about economics. <laughs> so this is really interesting. <laughs> well, I would, so, I would like to join. That, that sounds so fun. <laughs> so I did a few. I'm always uh, talking to my colleagues about economics and they, um, uh, I think a little bit bored by now, <laughs> but if someone is interested, that would be cool. <laughs> so we should do an off-topic yeah. show about economics. <laughs> that would be great. Okay, but but Definitely. first let's let's talk about uh, AWS. So, um, so we mentioned already. So nowadays your main focus is machine learning and data analytics on AWS. So that means all your projects probably have to do with huge or maybe very huge amounts of data. And I've never done a project like that. So can you maybe take me to the journey? So how does a typical project for a consulting client look like that has a problem in that domain? Is there any approach that you're following that you have in your head when you're um, planning a project? Mm -hmm. 
So I think it, it starts like a normal project, right? You meet the customer for the first time and you discuss the problem and you think about the solution. And um, pretty much in the first meeting or maybe in the second meeting, I, I will start to ask about what kind of data we have, what amount of data we have, how is it structured and how is the, um, what is the expected uh, end product? So how, is, how needs the data to be transformed? Uh, that that can be used for typical uh, analytics or, or or maybe just a dashboard or whatever you know um and um yeah it's it's not so different from other projects i think i've done now uh, three or four um which i would call big data right big data as long as a normal database is not enough anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay, so basically you start understanding the data that is that is there that you're starting from, and then um, you try to find out what's the basically the end product of all of that needs to look yeah. like. So basically, I, I assume that what you're getting from the customer is what they need to achieve from a business point of view. <laughs> so you're probably so that's what I imagine. You're translating In the best case, basically right? the data they have and yeah. the goal they have from a business, and then you need to translate between all those sides yeah. and and basically form a plan um, on how to achieve that. The the fun really starts uh, when the customer doesn't really know what he wants. Uh, I think you know mm. this as well, right? Not all customers uh, really mm. have a goal in mind. Um, and mm -hmm. then you can, you can start to, to improvise, I would say, uh, and, and mm -hmm. just present some stuff and the customer is excited to see what you present. And that's, that's really fun for me because then I can be more free and, um, not really, uh, or sometimes the customer is also, um, saying we need to use this tool and this tool and this tool and so on. And then it, it's not so fun anymore, but, um, when you are really free and and also the expectation is not that clear so that you can move mm -hmm. some things around um that that's the most fun i i had in a project yeah okay okay so when you basically are able to design a solution that really fits into the problem yeah. domain and you don't have too much constraints yeah. around that constraints. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's what i know from consulting projects as well yeah. um that's when you really can um, built um, with the best tools that are available, yep. stuff like that. Okay. One typical project that you're doing is building serverless ETL pipelines. So ETL is extract, transform, and load. Mm -hmm. And can you, so how does the architecture, or how does, what are the tools that you're using for building such a serverless ETL pipeline? If I can choose the tools, I'm... I'm very excited because then I can do my preferred <laughs> solution. Um, so this is, uh, do pretty much everything in Athena and, um, choose the, um, uh, control uh, mechanism. So, so who's, who's starting those queries and, and who's seeing if they finished and if they were done correctly and so on in either step functions or in airflow. So, so to manage everything. Use step function or airflow, depending on, on size and everything. We can talk about that if you want. Um, and then mm -hmm. do uh, all the ETL in Athena because there are two or three main advantages. I think, um, everything is, is running on demand and, and pretty much instantly. So Athena is really fast, right? If, even if you're uh, going through big data, uh, the result can uh, take for, uh, maybe three seconds if you're writing a good query and if your data is well partitioned. Uh, 
Yeah, also the transform mechanisms uh, can run in Athena and you can create new tables and you can um, transform the data this way and also enrich the data, which is really cool. You can combine multiple data mm -hmm. sources, um, which is what I'm doing in my current project. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So I think we need to start a little bit more at the beginning with that. So, okay. so you are Sorry. excited about Athena. That's what I yeah. understand. And then we have, we need some more, um, which, which is to orchestrate the pipeline. But mm -hmm. Maybe let's start with Athena first. So, so just to, I, I will explain Athena in my own words and then you can <laughs> go on with that. So, okay. So Athena is a, as a service I like uh, a lot as well. So Athena is basically a service for AWS that you can use to run SQL-like queries on data stored on S3 buckets. So that's really cool. So the cool thing about that is basically you, you don't need the, sh the schema in advance. You can query the data that you upload to S3 and uh, you're basically defining the schema ad hoc as you run the mm -hmm. query. That's very cool. And the other very cool thing is so you can store Great, uh, huge amounts of data on S3, like, yeah. And um, now you have a tool to basically um, make use of all the data that you store yeah. in the, some call it data lakes or whatever, but you just dump all your CSV files, whatever you have on S3, and then you have um, a very, con a very um, simple way to basically query and analyze the data. And the cool thing about Athena that I'm using it a lot uh, nowadays to build dashboards, um, business dashboards um, and um, the cool thing I found is it's very flexible and you're only paying uh, when you run a query. Basically, yes. you pay for the data that gets processed from S3 when you run a query. So for a dashboard that's that I open once a day, that's very cool because I just uh, pay for that uh, fraction of the, the time um, and have uh, really great compute power underneath. That, so it's a really a, a serverless product, I would say. Yeah, that's a really important point because you only pay for the data scanned, right? So even if you have a huge uh, transform algorithm in the in the background and the query takes maybe like, I think the max is 30 minutes now. Um, mm -hmm. Even if it takes that long, you're only paying for the data scanned. And even if it's very uh, compute intensive, your, your, your workload, your ETL uh, mm -hmm. workflow, uh, you only pay for the data scanned. That's, that's so huge. And basically the model in my mind is that uh, Athena... Uh, gets all the data from S3 in parallel. So it parallelizes the task of fetching all the data, analyzing all the data. Uh, it fetches all the objects um, and then basically combines the result together. And that's what I'm presented back in a, in a SQL-like style. So like querying a SQL database. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but now you're mentioning that you're using Athena for um, ETL and um, I can share a story from 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 a consulting project that I've been um, working on, and I had the idea at the very beginning of Athena many years ago. I don't know how many, but a few years ago, um, I had the idea I could use Athena for exactly that. So we had a huge uh, huge data set with CFV files, and I wanted basically to compress the data um, so that yeah, at the end I don't have to go over too much data. To I think it was also for building a business dashboard, mm -hmm. and. What what I realized it um, so Athena is really cool and back then um, what was possible is you could basically store the output of a query uh, in a CSV file on S3 so that was a as, as I remember the functionality the that typical was output then. yeah yeah but that that was 
yeah, it was not very convenient to do so. It was very hard to build an automation around that. I failed on that. So at the end, uh, I think I built a solution for the customer, but I think um, we never used it uh, because we then decided to go another I know that <laughs> way, which was more. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so so now you're telling me you're building huge ETL pipelines with that. So So the question in my head is, how does that work? How do you make that happen in probably a more reliable way than I've been doing it? <laughs> yeah. So maybe can you talk me through that a little bit? So how does that work? How do you build an ETL pipeline with Athena? There are two main ways to create tables, right? So you already have data in S3 um, and you create an external table on top of the data. That's not really the preferred way I use. The data is already in Athena, in uh, so the, the the CSV files, like you mentioned, right? This is this is raw data, and you do a really quick mm -hmm. table on top of that. That's that can be the external table, but then you start you take this table and you you query it, right? You query it with a create table as uh, statement, and then you can um, do all the things you can do with SQL, which is which is more or less unlimited, right? Um, and you create mm -hmm. new tables from that and new tables can uh, also have an output. And that is the way we transform the data. Was it clear or? Yeah. Okay. So, so let me try how I under, uh, try to explain how I, I understood what you are uh, saying. Okay. So it basically it means, um, you have data stored on S3, let's say in CSV, uh, files. Mm -hmm. You define uh, an Athena ad hoc, basically, um, table, uh, based on that data. That you already or you have. use blue collar, right? That's that's okay. an easy way too. And then basically you, you are running a query, and the mm. query you run um, fetches the data that is uh, already available, and it basically creates a new table based on that. And uh, yeah. as you're using a SQL query, you now can do things like let me imagine um, a group by clause for accurate or compressing the data. Or you could fetch, as you mentioned, other uh, query other tables, basically join them to enrich the data. And the end result, yep. basically the, the result of the uh, select query is what you then store in another Athena table. And in the background, Athena will create files on a three to store the, the result for you automatically. That's a good explanation. And what you can do, so right, for group by would be for analytics reasons, right, for, for dashboards. So you want to mm -hmm. have some kind of results all over all the uh, data, but you can also do, um, uh, calculations, uh, right? If you, mm -hmm. if you maybe have, uh, two different columns, you want to combine them in some way, mm -hmm. uh, or even take external data, right? So we have, um, in the current project I'm doing, um, we have uh, created uh, another uh, source, another data source, mm -hmm. which is uh, then combined with this data source. And we, we enrich the data in this way and mm -hmm. we get way more insights. Okay, so Peter, um, we talked about the create table as select statement that basically creates a new table out of a select statement. Um, but I imagine, so for example, we are um, using Athena to analyze the data from the AWS marketplace where we sell some software products. And what we need mm -hmm. to do there is every day AWS sends us a new batch of CSV files and we basically need to add that to the table. So is there any way to, to do that? So basically to append data on a daily or weekly basis? Yep. There's a quite convenient way with uh, insert into statements. So you can use insert into and use the same data model you defined in the table, right? It has to be exactly the same uh, because mm -hmm. it, else it wouldn't work. 
Um, and then you can do daily updates to your data. And for example, if you partition it that way that you uh, partition it by date uh, or maybe by day even, mm-hmm. um, and you get daily updates, it's really easy, right? You can uh, also write a cleanup mechanism so that you never have double data uh, and you can um, have a very uh, stable process uh, that is always adding exactly that day into that partition uh, and Athena automatically recognizes those partitions if you if you do it right. Uh, yeah. And then you can just add uh, to the table uh, and you get a, uh, yeah, your data gets, gets, gets bigger every day and you can do those daily processes, um, which is, and nearly every project needs those daily updates, right? So, so you mentioned another thing <laughs> that makes me curious. So, so you mentioned partitions. Oh. So how does, um, yeah. so partitions are, so I know it from, um, from the good old <laughs> databases. So, but, but how does partitioning the data work with Athena? So why is that important and how do you do it? Partitioning data is, um, actually important in, I would say two ways. So, Mainly it is for reducing the, um, the, the data scanned by further queries. So you, you build your table, you, you add with a daily intake, uh, to that table, and then you want to, um, maybe build a dashboard on top of that. Um, and that dashboard maybe only needs the, the Q and day, um, uh, for, for analytics. You, you just want to see what has happened that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you write your select statement, uh, with a where clause, uh, where clause, um, where the date is today. Um, and then, uh, Athena only has to search through exactly that partition and you save a lot of money and it also gets way faster. But I also have a story, if we have some time where yeah. a table was over partitioned and that was terrible. So you have, really have to think about your, um, uh, how you you query the data? That's that's really important. And why is that? Because so let's imagine I'm I'm partitioning my data by date, which is probably very typical, mm-hmm. so that I can only I don't know search through the last month or the last quarter or something. But when I add additional partitions, I don't know. For in my example about the marketplace, I could do partitions for each product or stuff like that, or maybe even each customer. Then it gets probably really yeah. <laughs> really yeah. crazy. Um, so what is, what is at the end the problem with querying the data? Do I need to know all those partitions to get my data or why is that, why is that an, an issue? Yeah, you don't need to know your, your partitions, but you need to know what you want to query in the end or it's, it's, uh, recommended. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the, you, you will get inefficient queries and they still work uh, most of the time if they don't <laughs> run into timeouts. Um, mm-hmm. but. It, it will still work, but if you want to have it in an efficient way, um, then you need to know what you want to query the data by. Um, so for example, if we have those, um, those daily dashboards and they only want to do the, the day, then it makes sense to partition by day. Mm-hmm. But you could also have, um, let's say you, let's take your example and, uh, you will, partition by customer because you heard partitioning is great and mm-hmm. and, and and partition by as many things as you can because <laughs> then every query is e- efficient right mm-hmm. uh, what you will have in the end is very very small files maybe even one file per partition mm-hmm. and if you have big data you can end up with a lot of partitions um, mm-hmm. and every partition needs actually an s3 list call and that can actually get very expensive um, so we had 
uh, I, I will tell the story now because it's, I think it's mm -hmm. funny. Uh, we had a table, um, with, with additional data. Uh, so we, we built an additional, uh, data source and wanted to join this uh, table, uh, two times mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and this table was partitioned in a way, way over partitioned that it has, uh, had it, uh, one, one file for each partition. And in the end, it was 80,000 files. So actually not mm -hmm. that quite, not, not even big data. Mm -hmm. Um, but way too many partitions. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we joined this, um, this table in an inefficient way. Uh, so mm -hmm. we also did some, some errors, but, mm -hmm. um, and then we ended up with a lot of S3 list calls, which, which would get into the thousands, uh, actually mm -hmm. for a full, mm -hmm. uh, calculation. Uh, so if we want to recalculate everything. And I was curious, why is this happening? Uh, I thought, I, I knew that Athena was making S3 reads and, and, and get a get object and list actually. And mm -hmm. it does a list for each partition, which is quite logical because it needs mm -hmm. the files, right? It needs to know mm -hmm. what is there. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you have those over partitioning, it slows down the query a lot. You, you get this new, uh, you get the, it's also a new feature of Athena. You get those query, uh, details and there you get the time planned and the time mm -hmm. planned will take very, very long if you have a lot of partitions. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a disadvantage. And, um, yeah, you also will get huge S3 costs, uh, in the end, uh, which is not necessary. Really think about the partitioning. And now we ended even, uh, now we ended up with doing less partitions, uh, for our main database, uh, for our main table. This is a little bit more S3, uh, Athena cost, but a lot less, uh, S3 cost in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really interesting to balance those those two. So I'm currently very lazy with the data we're getting from the marketplace that I told about uh, before, uh, because I don't have any partition at all, because the, the format is very clumsy. But that means mm. each time I run a query, it has to load all the data from the bucket, right? So that's also, it's, yep. it's, it's, it's not a big issue because the data amount is, I don't know, a few hundred megabytes. But over time, <laughs> this will grow and grow. So I need to think about a solution in the future. But yeah, but yeah. So so basically, um, what what you're saying, what 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 we can get out of this is, you need to think about the partitions. Um, it's important to have partitions to query data effectively, but it's also important to not overdo and have too many partitions yep. in place, which will just increase the cost partitions. for listing the buckets. Yep. And um, this brings me to to another aspect. So. So we have we have um, talked about Athena cost structure. So you pay for the data that gets processed. Um, is how do you monitor the costs for your S three access from Athena? Is there any? I don't know because I think so. As you mentioned, so this looks like I can basically <laughs> it can have big consequences if I do it wrong. So. Do we have any, yeah. do you typically set up some monitoring for, for, uh, I don't know, the, the, a budget or something, or how do you make sure you're not running into any issues? Is there a, any good approach that you have? So I haven't found a, found a really good way. What I'm, what I'm doing right now is, is monitoring, mani uh, monitoring the cost, uh, explorer of AWS really closely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, this is quite a helpful tool because it, uh, at least for the last day, it's really accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it can change a little bit by sense, but it's, it's really accurate for the last day. Mm -hmm. Um, not for the current day. You can also, uh, enable S3 logs, um, mm -hmm. which gets expensive as well. If you have a, a bucket with 
with huge amounts of uh, uh, transformations and uh, all the time there's uh, uh, data queried and so on. So we have mm -hmm. to be really careful with that. But you can look into that and see uh, if you have way too many um, uh, SV list operations. Actually, and that's so the same, right? You can you can query this table with Athena, uh, this this data with Athena, right? You can mm -hmm. enable <laughs> SV logs, build a really quick S Athena table, and then mm -hmm. have those logs available and do really quick ad hoc analysis. So. That's a very important learning. So if you do, um, if you use Athena, um, you should not watch only your Athena costs, but also watch your S3 costs, especially if you process yeah. lots amount of data. So um, we talked now uh, about Athena, and I think <laughs> we we both really like the service. That's <laughs> what you really can tell from what we've been talking through. Um, but the other, I think the other way to solve a similar issue would be um, using EMR, uh, so Amazon EMR to spin up a cluster and stuff. Um, so have you used EMR as well in the past? Can you tell me about the differences and why you mostly prefer Athena? Is there? Yeah. Uh, so when I get into a project, um, most of the time the customer already has something um, They started uh, with something, right? And they uh, try to do it uh, in any kind of way, and then they ask for help. And what they mostly do is uh, launch an EMR cluster um, and, and, and start deploying some scripts, and then they take a long time, and they are, and also the cluster is unstable and so on. Um, okay, uh, and now I come into the project and I um, look into that and I try to fix it in a way because let's say the customer wants to stay with EMR because he's familiar with, with Spark and, and, and maybe wants to write Python jobs therefore. And what I found a little bit annoying about EMR is that you, that it's, um, even if you, if you scale it up only if you need it, right? So you can, you can write scripts and, and start the EMR cluster only if you need it. Um, even then it gets really expensive because to do the same, uh, the same operations we do now in Athena, uh, you need a really big cluster. Uh, so if it's too small, it will fail and it will get unstable and the, the scheduler will get overloaded and so on and so on. And the worker will not perform anymore. And to fix it, yeah, you can log into the cluster, but that's also complicated. Developing uh, on that cluster is also kind of complicated. Um, where in um, Athena, you just execute your SQL and if something fails, you can correct it and develop that way, right? And in EMR, um, you upload your your, your jobs uh, per EMR steps. Um, and then you have to look into the cluster and get logs out of there. And it takes a long time to get those logs, maybe up to five minutes. Um, you can log onto that cluster, but then you need a connection. And most of the time it's in an internal network. So it's a little bit difficult to get access to that. Um, so there are a lot of things I don't like about EMR, but, uh, <laughs> it works. Okay. I, I mean, so, it, 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 it still works, right? It does a job. Mm -hmm. It's just expensive and takes a little bit longer than, uh, yeah. Yeah. From what I get out of your description is, um, it's more expensive and also it's far more complex. So the whole system is, is yeah. really complex. And so having a, um, yeah, a simple slim solution. And with Athena is uh, probably the, the, yeah, the advantage here. Okay. Um, so, uh, so at the, at the beginning, you described, uh, basically the architecture of the serverless ETL uh, pipeline. And you mentioned Athena. And the other thing you mentioned was Airflow. 
so I'm very curious, um, what is Airflow and how does it work? What, what do you do with it? Um, can you give me a short introduction to what Airflow is uh, doing here? Yeah, so Airflow is an open source orchestration tool. And what Airflow consists of is different tasks. And those tasks are uh, a DAX. Those are direct acyclical graphs. And um, what they do, uh, so they are, in, in, in my case, they are just Python code, which with different tasks and commands. And they, there's a little bit more than, than just executing the Athena statement, right? So I, I just mentioned before the uh, S3 cleaning, uh, so to avoid uh, a double uh, doubling of the data. Uh, so we don't want to have one day, two times. Um, and then we also do some kind of really ad hoc reporting, for example. So if the task is, um, if the, if the daily process is finished, uh, we send out an SNS, uh, email and there's also some kind of reporting. So we have, uh, uh some quick insights into the new data. Um, and that's, that's just some possibilities, uh, what you can do with Airflow. Um, in my head, that sounds like Airflow is basically like GitHub Actions or like Jenkins, but for ETL jobs. Is that maybe something, a good comparison? Because basically you have a workflow that you need to implement and orchestrate, and you're using mm -hmm. a tool to make that happen, basically a workflow manager, workflow management system. Yeah, I think you can compare those, yeah. There's an AWS has service for that, which is with a very crazy name, Amazon Managed yeah. Workflows <laughs> for Apache Airflow. And I can, I can share yeah. some insights on that. So the for Apache Airflow is basically, there's a reason for that. That's exactly the way um, the open source project with Apache license force you to build product names when you build a service out of that. <laughs> That's why this is a crazy name. Okay, but, but it doesn't matter. So um, the good news is there's a managed service by AWS. You can spin up Apache yeah. Airflow. I did so to play around with Apache Airflow a few months ago. And yeah, it, it spins up um, um, the infrastructure that you need and then you get a, basically a web interface that you can log into. And, um, and what I, I played around a little bit with it and I uploaded this direct isoclick graph. And basically mm. you do so by uploading it to an S3 bucket and then it takes a little bit and then uh, it becomes available in Airflow. So um, is is that also the way you interact with Airflow? So if, if you're building a, such a pipeline, so how does it, basically, how do you get <laughs> your directed acyclic graph to Airflow? So how does that work? Do you, do you have any, I don't know, any automation yeah. or? Yeah, we actually have automation. Um, I mean, you could also work with it, just write your uh, stuff locally and then upload it to S3 with a really simple command, right? That's, that's pretty much what all the automation is also about, but, uh, you can do more fancy stuff and we did more fancy stuff. Um, so what we do now is, uh, it goes through a whole pipeline and then there will be, um, an image built with the Q and airflow, uh, version and all the requirements will be loaded into that. And then we do some testing, um, and we also do some, some, some other things. So is it formatted well, uh, does the, um, uh, the current requirements, which are all, um, required, uh, mm -hmm. are they, can they work together? Uh, just a simple build test. Um, yeah. And then write the testing as, so we write testings on the, uh, on the DAX 
um, okay. and then they will execute it. But right now they are really simple, but you could do a lot more. Okay, so that basically means the, the directed acyclic graph is basically treated like software and you're building a deployment pipeline for that and really with tests and basically it seems like yeah. an integration test and that's really cool. Oh, wow, I didn't expect that. Okay, I, I just thought you're going to the console and uploading your street file. <laughs> but that sounds... That I mean, sounds in really the cool. end, <laughs> uh, when, when everything passed, right? In the end, it's just a simple AWS S3 copy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's that's still there. <laughs> But uh, there's a lot more around it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, basically the, the, the quality um, is, is checked before you deploy it. Um, that's, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, cool. Um, so there's, um, there's one aspect um, of Athena uh, that I want to ask you about. So, um, you st so I usually start with CSV files. That's basically often the input. And then I noticed when I had a look into Athena and played around with those create table as select statements, you can define different data file formats. I, th I hope I pronounced mm -hmm. it correctly. It's Parquet or OCR and a few others. So can you um, talk me a little bit through what that is about? Because I didn't understand that part 100% yet. Yeah, and also Avro is a really popular format as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really important to um, choose a more efficient um, file format uh, for your data. So CSV is not column-based, it's line-based, mm -hmm. and Fakir is column-based, and mm -hmm. that allows Athena um, to, even without partitioning, um, search through the data more efficiently. And also Paquet is... Um, a lot more compressed uh, by default, I think. I'm not sure about that, but we use an additional compression, which is called Snappy, um, and then the, the files also get a lot uh, smaller, which is really nice. So I think uh, a 200 uh, MB CSV files can be uh, uh, shrunken down to 10 MB uh, with mm. Paquet, and the same mm. data is still in those files. Um, that's That's a lot, right? Even without partitioning, uh, Athena can has don't doesn't have to search through um, all the columns every time, depending on how you write your query um, and if the where statements make sense. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. ah, okay. So that's um, so I know. I think it's probably a very similar concept that I know from Redshift, which I, I think the the concept behind Redshift is also that it's column oriented and not row or line oriented, like maybe a CSV file or a normal SQL database. And as far as I understand, basically the, the thing is, if I do a select and only select a, a certain amount of um, columns, it has to go only through the data for that columns and not, not load the whole row, the whole line for basically each item yep. in, in the database. Okay, so that's probably a similar concept with, with Redshift and here with, with those Parquet and OCR. And what was the third one? Uh, the third one is Avro. It's, ah, that's Avro. also a really popular format. Okay, it's it's used in uh, Apache Kafka or something. Yeah. Maybe ah, I've okay. heard of those. And, and those are all supported by Athena out of the box, or is, is there anything needed mm -hmm. to? Okay. Wow, very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so so we talked about uh, Athena. We, we discussed uh, Airflow. And um, I remember one thing that you mentioned at the very beginning. So you mentioned step function as an alternative to Airflow as well. Yes. So what is the, so I, I've used step functions a lot. So Michael and me, we use it for 
most often our serverless applications and stuff like that. So, but but how? Um, so, yeah, what's the maybe the difference between Airflow and Step function, and is there a reason for using one or the other tool? So they they both do the same, but there are huge differences. So uh, Step functions is actually serverless, and and it's a service of AWS, and it's only available in AWS. Some customers still care about that, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so and Airflow is open source, right? You can you can launch your Airflow cluster, although it is a lot of work. Uh, locally, or you can, you can launch it in another cloud. That's a huge difference. Step function is a lot cheaper because it's, it's serverless and only pays, uh, you only pay for each, um, each step. Um, but you have to do a lot more work to implement all the, uh, convenient features Airflow gives you. Um, so Airflow also has included monitoring. Airflow has some cool features like catch up where you can set a start date. And Airflow will execute those jobs up to that start date automatically. Um, that's, that's really cool if you want to, um, recalculate all your data. Um, sometimes you have to do that if the data model changes, um, and you want to start fresh. Um, and there are a lot of other cool features Airflow offers, for example, monitoring, right? So you have those cool, I, I you, you also built uh, an Airflow cluster, right? And you looked into it mm-hmm. and you get mm-hmm. those cool graphs and you get those, um, each, each step lights up green if it's, if it's finished or it light, lights up red if there's an error. And if you have a lot of, um, ETL stuff and a lot of, a lot of work, ETL workflows, I would, uh, say Airflow is the better choice because it's, it brings so much more to the table, but it also costs more. And mm. some things are also a little bit more diff, uh, difficult. So for example, Handing over, uh, variables was, uh, is very easy in step functions. You always get mm-hmm. those outputs and then you have an input and you can just take, uh, if you know how to manipulate those, those paths, you can just input it into the next step. And with Airflow, I struggled a little bit. Could also be me, but <laughs> I think it is a little bit more complicated, mm-hmm. um, to hand over variables and, you have also internal variables. For example, the queue and date uh, is an internal variable, um, or the execution date is also an internal variable, um, and you have to handle those. Okay. So basically, what I get from this, from your description, is that um, so step function is um, it's more a general tool for all kinds of workflows, and Airflow suits a little bit better for um, data analytics, ETL workflow stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true as well. Seems to be a little yeah. more focused on that. Okay, but uh, are you still using step functions from time to time to build ETL um, pipelines as well? Yeah. Ah, okay. I actually like step functions a lot because <laughs> they also improved step functions a lot in the last few years, um, mm-hmm. even the last few months. There are nearly all um, RP calls now uh, as um, as easy functions already integrated, so you don't have to use Boto or another tool. They are already, they have their small little icon and, and you can just click on them and define yeah. your input and define your output and so on. So it's, it's really easy for people who can't uh, or who not, who are not that familiar with, with programming. Sometimes you still need a lambda for some things, but that's, that's becoming more and more, uh, less and less, uh, as they develop, uh, these step functions, uh, and maybe let's see, maybe in the future, they also go a little bit into these ETL directions. So they could implement things like those backfilling yeah. 
uh, as well. So that that would be cool. Okay, so so I have now a new project <laughs> that I want to build. So, <laughs> so my goal now, after you've explained all that to me, is I will try to build a ETL a pipeline for our marketplace data uh, with Athena and uh, Step functions. I think that is that would be really cool um, to improve our dashboard and our analytics. Um, so whenever I have a question, I will <laughs> give you a call. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I struggle with that. I I, sounds, I really enjoy really cool. uh, doing those projects. Uh, so so people still uh, outside the company uh, still ask me for Afina help, and I'm so happy to help because <laughs> I enjoy the service so much. And it's it's like free. I I do it in my free time because it's fun to me. Right? <laughs> it's like um, some people have uh, more. I would say. Other hobbies and, and I have a few. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that might be a, a very cool niche to focus on, Athena. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Okay. Um, so, okay. I think we, we really talked a lot about um, um, the how to build ETL pipelines in a serverless way, which I think uh, is a very uh, cool approach and a very modern approach as well to do things like that in a um yeah in a in a cool and also cheap way that's <laughs> i think important as well um so um let let me come back to the very beginning uh, of our conversation so i asked you about how does a typical um project look like for building such an etl pipeline and, and the data analytics project so um coming back to that so what aspects of building an ETL pipeline are, are most um, fun to you? Which which parts do you enjoy the most? Is it, as you said, the Athena queries? Or is it to see that, I don't know, huge amounts of data going through the pipeline? Or what basically excites you most about those projects? I think it's it's all those things, right? All the things we mentioned that it's, it's not well known, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. Not a lot of people know uh, that you can do all your ETL stuff with Hina. And I think that's, that's really cool. And it feels like, feels like a cheat code really, because only the data scanned uh, is, is what you pay for. So even mm -hmm. if I have a really complex and long running query, it's, it's only the data scanned. Why is this possible? So mm -hmm. this, this is really the cool thing about Athena for me. Mm -hmm. And, and building those, those ETL pipelines, I think, um, really enabling people, um, to, work further with the data. Uh, let's say that we have um, machine learning specialists or, or, or data scientists or whatever, um, and they want to work with the data and um, they struggle a little bit because it's not so well organized and, and there's some important information missing. And, and I think the, the, the that's a really important part of, of building a, a stable and efficient um, ETL workflow, which is easy to understand also for if, if Right as consultants, we are not uh, forever in the project, and and some people are, are in the company need to take over. And the way I build it is also really easy to understand and hand over and to explain to someone here is your SQL statement, and if you uh, know SQL, uh, you can really easily fix it, and all the pipeline around it is is also easy easy to understand um, because of the um, stuff that Airflow or Step Functions offers. Uh, so you have those those graphics, right, which are, which are easy to understand which step is after the other. Um, yeah, that's what I enjoy. And, and the best thing is if, if people use it and, and uh, um, yeah, use the data, right? So sometimes you also mentioned this, uh, you build something and then it doesn't get used. It's a little bit sad, um, but uh, 
when you have a really efficient way of doing it and and you can present what what is possible uh, then it is, the, the chance of it getting used is way higher Mm -hmm. the the best output would be that you really create a huge business value because now the data yep. that was lying around and no one could make any sense of now is really helpful to make decisions or to solve problems so that's a um could be a very huge uh, impact on on company or even society um there's there was yep. one question that came to my mind because at cloud on out one of our goals is always to to dive into the limitations so we talked about you a lot about oh that's so cool the solution is the greatest on earth so is there anything <laughs> that you struggle with when you build an etl pipeline with athena um i think i have two important limitations so um you can um execute athena queries in parallel mm -hmm. um but there's some magic in the background which which allocates resources to your account i'm not really sure how it works uh, but you can run out of those resources um, mm -hmm. and you can i think you can now increase your service limits a bit uh, mm -hmm. so for ctis queries and and other queries um, but there's still a limit right so you if you have um, let's say you you start a um, full uh, recalculation of your of one data set Mm -hmm. And another colleague is uh, working on something else and is also uh, querying a lot of data at the same time. Then it is likely that some of these queries will fail um, due to service limits or due to timeouts, or they will stay a lot longer in the queue and you will get a lot worse performance. Um, mm -hmm. This can happen. Okay. Um, yeah, and another thing would be the Athena timeout, right? That's that's a very obvious thing. Um, mm -hmm. So if your query gets too complex, um, if you have too many joints and too many different raw tables, too many CS3 files that need to be loaded into this query, mm -hmm. um, then you can run into timeouts. Um, and, and the timeout yeah, is 30 minutes. Did I get that correctly? I think it's 30 minutes, but okay. I think it can also be increased. So one time, uh, it's a little bit longer ago, we increased it from 15 to 30 minutes, but now I think the default mm -hmm. is 30 minutes. I'm not so okay. sure. Okay, it doesn't matter too much. You but can definitely just... work with the AWS support on that. Mm -hmm. yeah. But is it then the same as with Lambda functions that if you reach the limit, what is the solution? Is it to, to try to slice the problem into smaller slices? Is that basically how you do mm. it? Okay, so I you uh, most of the time uh, you write a more efficient query. <laughs> that's, that's the start. <laughs> yeah. If your query takes thirty minutes, there's likely something wrong with it, or you're okay. querying way too too much data. Does that mean um, with Athena you can basically use the same approach that you do with Lambda? That when the problem becomes too big and it doesn't fit into the timeout, you just um, slice it into smaller chunks. Is that how it works with Athena as well? And were there ever um, um, a problem that didn't work like that, that you couldn't slice smaller? Um, yeah, uh, so you can do that, actually. You can even do that uh, within a query with uh, additional with statements. So you can, depending on your SQL skill, it can get a lot faster. Uh, so if you write a really efficient subquery, um, and then you will have less joins and you can solve some problems like that. You can also do something um, like have many small queries and then join them all together or union union them all together in the end. That can also work. Um, so there are multiple ways to handle this, this these problems. 
And um, the last part of your question was, if I ever encountered something that didn't work, mm -hmm. actually, yes. Um, we had some, we had a case where we had a huge um, SAP database, which was downloaded to S3. And in SAP databases, there are some tables which are really huge and others are really small or most of them are really small and you only have one or two that are really too big and then even too big for Athena. Um, and they had so much data and that was a really big company. Um, and we couldn't get it to work within the timeline, even with the more efficient queries and everything we did. Um, because we also had the problem that it needed to order uh, the data, which is always a huge problem because then you need to load every, all the data into the uh, memory. Um, mm. So ordering is, is always terrible mm -hmm. <laughs> if you can avoid it or if you can do it later on, maybe, mm -hmm. um, yeah, offload it from the, from the really big transform query. Okay, cool. Uh, thanks for sharing. So, okay. So now, um, this is really a cloud and cloud or not approved solution. So we also talked about the limitations of um, serverless ETL uh, pipelines, um, which is, I think, important to know. But uh, I think I'm, um, I'm really um, yeah, psyched about this way of building ETL pipelines. Um, there's one more thing to mention, Peter. So um, there is an open position at TechRacer. So TechRacer is looking for AWS cloud consultants with a focus on machine learning and data analytics. So that's basically your future colleague, <laughs> right? So, so yeah, if that, that's what we discussed what today, yeah. <laughs> if what we discussed today sounds interesting to you and you want to do similar things on AWS, you should check out um, this open position from TechRacer. We'll find, you will find a link uh, in the show notes. Um, TechRacer has offices in Hanover, Duisburg, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Munich, Vienna, Lisbon, and Lucerne. And so check that out, uh, join them to build uh, great stuff on AWS and um, join Peter and his team. It was a great pleasure join to talk to me and my team in Hamburg. <laughs> <laughs> so you're located in Hamburg, that's cool. Hamburg okay. is the best then. <laughs> the best location yeah. is Hamburg because that's where Peter is. Okay. Best location, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, it was really a pleasure to talk to you. I learned a lot about um, uh, serverless ETL pipelines. Uh, it was uh, great fun. Thanks for sharing all your insights. Um, yeah, this was really learning from practitioners, learning from builders. I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I really enjoyed the talk as well. I had a lot of fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, about economics, right? <laughs> mentioned that. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Peter. This was great. Bye. Bye.